Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. I'm glad that uh, you are all with us this morning. You've joined us at Summit Church. My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's a privilege to be able to serve you and to share God's Word together. If you're here in person in the worship center or you're joining us online, we are glad that you're here. Good to be together. Take your Bibles, open them up, turn them on, join me in locating a New Testament book of James, James chapter 1. It's our text for this morning. Uh, We'll be looking at the first four verses. This week we start a new series from the book of James. We're doing an exegetical run through this book. We're going to take it as it comes from the author's own words, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to the original readers. And then, of course, it is also intended for each one of us today. This God's Word is timeless, um, and it's for us today. The book of James was written by James. Uh, scholars believe somewhere between 40 and 60 A.D., most likely the earlier part of that. There are several men in the Bible by the name of James. Um, so many men named James mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, tradition assigns this book to the one called James the Just. He also was the half-brother of Jesus, uh, the brother of Jude, was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. What's interesting is uh, Jesus' brothers weren't necessarily uh, um, early adapters. (laughs) Uh, They didn't have early buy-in to the message and the mission of Jesus. But there was something that happened in in his life, Jesus' life and his death and and, and his resurrection, when, when his brothers saw him dead and then they saw him alive, they said, hey, we better pay attention. And so James was probably a convert um, to Christianity, a follower of Christ, after the resurrection of, of Christ, his brother, his half-brother. But when he did follow, he became an ardent uh, follower of Christ, and he had great devotion he was a, a man of prayer. In fact, history records that he, he was a man that uh, described as having um, a, a prayer life where he spent an uh, inordinate amount of times kneeling in prayer. According to J- uh, Josephus, a historian, James was martyred for his faith. He was, he was pushed from a high point in the temple, um, and, and he was... The, you know, we're trying to kill him when the fall. He didn't, history records he didn't, he didn't die from the fall, but when he hit the ground, he was beaten to death. And even as he was being beaten to death, he was praying for his attackers. That is similar to uh, how the Bible describes the, the martyrdom of Stephen who, who prayed, you know, that God would, would forgive those who were attacking him. And of course, it's the testimony of Christ on the cross Father, forgive them because they don't know what they were doing. The original readers of the book of James were Jewish Christians living outside of Palestine, scattered Hebrew Christians. In fact, in verse 1, in the the salutation, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you see who it's written to? To the 
12 tribes scattered among the nations. At, at various times, and <clears throat> from the operation of many different reasons, different causes, the Jews were scattered and separated in, into foreign countries. Regarding the extent of the dispersion, Josephus wrote, he goes, there's no city, no tribe, whether Greek or barbarian, in which the Jewish law and Jewish customs have not taken root. So, to the 12 tribes that are scattered. Now, who are the 12 tribes? Now, you remember, <coughs> excuse me, Abraham. Abraham, the, the father of the Jewish nation. He was in Ur of the Chaldees, and God put a call in his life. He said, listen, I want you to come. And he goes, I'm going to bless you. And he said, there's, there's nations um, will be blessed by you. But he's many descendants. And so Abraham was a man who followed God. But you remember Abraham, he married his wife, and they, they were not able to have children. Sarah never bore any children to Abraham to, to the point where they're in their, in their 90s, 80s, 90 years old and, and past childbearing age. And Abraham, though, who was the, the father of, you know, you know the, of, of the nations to come, um, his wife and, and Abraham, they came up with a plan that his wife's maidservant would, would bear uh, a, a children, offspring for Abraham. And so Abraham took his wife's maidservant and, and they had a son. And the son's name, you may remember, is Ishmael. What was amazing, though, was God had a plan. And, of course, even though Abraham's wife was past childbearing age, she became pregnant and bore him a son. And his name was Isaac. And so now we have Ishmael and Isaac. And the story of Abraham, remember, um, God told him to sacrifice his son. And in obedience to God, um, he, he made preparation for that. He was about to sacrifice his son. And God said, don't, you know, there was this, this uh, provision of, of, a, of a ram caught in a thicket and, and that sacrifice was made. And Isaac, of course, lived. But <clears throat> he, he's there with his, his half-brother and he's there with, um, you know, um, Ishmael's mother. And things didn't go well. Can we say that? Um, Abraham's wife and... Um, it, it just didn't go well. And so um, Hagar, right? Hagar and Ishmael were sent off. And, and what you have been witnessing in the last weeks of fighting is those two brothers, descendants of those two brothers who are still fighting. The descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, right? So um, that's just a little history of where, of what is still going on. There's still conflict among the brothers. So, but the 12 brothers, so there was Abraham, there was Isaac, and then remember Isaac had a son, his name was Jacob. And to Jacob were born 12 sons. So when he's talking about the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, uh, Jacob had 12 sons. Each of them became the father of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, Reuben. Um, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And in the land of Canaan, remember when uh, God's people were slaves in Egypt, they were liberated. Moses, God sent Moses 
to free them from slavery. They now are in the desert. They traveled around, um, a sh- really not a long journey to the promised land, but because of disobedience and sin, they wandered around the desert for 40 years until an entire generation died off. And then they were standing at the, at the, the, the Jordan River, and, and Moses now is, has passed the leadership on to, to Joshua. And Joshua and Caleb are leading um, God's people, and, and these, these tribes, these, these, this family is moving in, into the land of Canaan to set up um, and, and to gain the land that God had promised um, Abraham. So that's who he's writing to. And yet, in another sense, not only is James writing to them, but he's writing to us. The readers are Jews who believed in Christ. No doubt they lived in a time when they were facing persecution for their faith. They were trying to understand what it meant to live for Christ. The purpose of the book of James, just some background, it's not necessarily doctrinal, even though we'll deal with some doctrinal things. It's not doctrinal. It's not a, uh, an apologetic, a defense of the faith, but it is very practical in nature. And so as we study this, you're going to find several places where we just have handles on what does it mean to live out our faith in a world, even in a world where there's a lot of persecution, a lot of, a lot of pressure um, on their faith. And James comes through with, with a letter to the church. He sees how they're living, and he wants to encourage them. It's a, it's a letter of encouragement to let their faith in Christ be known. It's, it was a, an attempt to help them put their theology in shoe leather. It's, it's putting their walk uh, in line with their talk. So, in other words, what they believed was intended to affect how they behaved. And, and here comes James trying to help them live that out. So much practical truth in this, in this letter of James. Both, here's what he says, both faith and works are crucial in the life of the believer. Now watch this. Never does he say that you can earn your salvation with good works. He never says that. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ. But James makes the practical point. Here's what he says. Someone who is saved will live a life with the fruit or the evidence of that reality. James, James basically is asking the question, where's the beef? You know, where's the beef in your Christian life? Um, where's the beef? You remember this lady, Clara um, Peller? Remember her? Well, what she was was a hairdresser in Chicago, but she became the spokesperson, she became the face for the Wendy's commercial back in 1984, you know, talking about where's the beef? (laughs) Where's the beef? Well, James says, where's the beef? If there's no proof of your faith in how you live, are you really saved? If nothing has changed, since you professed faith in Christ, something needs to change. Where's the beef? James, who's fully aware of Jewish religion and culture, he's had an excellent grasp of Old Testament literature. He looks at Christians and he goes, it's time to ante up. <clears throat> now, being the good Christian little missionary church boy that I was growing up, um, I couldn't play any betting games. But on the way back from the music contests, in the back of the bus, we would play cards. And I, I became familiar with what it meant to ante up, right? The ante is the amount that all players must commit to the pot before the game begins. 
The pot is what is won in the game. It will be the total of the ante plus all the bets during the game. And even though James says following Christ is a sure bet in terms of the payout of eternity with Christ, the price you pay is a true witness to what Christ has done for you, and that is on display for the world to see. Essentially, James says to the Christian in his day and also to Christian in any day, this, this telling, probing question, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? James calls Christians to follow Christ's example, to live a life demonstrating repentant faith, righteousness in keeping with repentance. See, repentance and faith are really two sides of the same coin. Uh, faith is, is declaring trusting in, relying on Christ. Repentance is, is the turning from sin. Repentance is not a work any more than faith is. We simply renounce our sin and rely on Christ. John the Baptist, by, by the way, called people to repentance and faith. John told the people, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sin. Turn around, turn to God, and, and not merely say we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham. He, he looked at the religious leaders and they said, ah, oh, we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham. And John the Baptist looked at him and he said, look, see these stones? If God wanted to, he could make descendants out of these stones. It's not because you have some kind of lineage not because you go to some kind of church. He, he said the baptism of repentance was meant to be the start of a brand new and continuous life of producing fruit and keeping with righteousness. Repentance. That's repentance. I like the way Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this. It says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That's what's at the heart of the book of James. Faith must work. It must, it must produce. It must be visible. Visible Visible faith, not just verbal faith. People can yak, 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 yak about stuff all day long. It's not verbal faith, it's visible faith. Mental faith is insufficient. Truth integrates into practical experience. It endures trials. It obeys God's word. It produces fruit. It harbors no prejudice. It controls the tongue. It acts wisely. Produces righteousness. Produces power to overcome the devil. It waits patiently for the coming of the Lord. Faith. And James echoes all of that when he shows, shows us the, the covenant promise of God appropriated by faith. It's given tangible expression, watch this, by active obedience. Active obedience. See, I believe there's people, maybe even sitting in this room, that think they're saved because they prayed a prayer. The Bible does not say that God so loved the world he sent a prayer. There's some people who think, maybe sitting in this room, who think they're walking with Jesus because they attend church. The Bible does not say that God so loved the world that he sent church attendance. There are people in this room who think they're Christian because they've been baptized. Nowhere does Scripture say that God so loved the world that he sent a baptismal tank. What does the Bible say? The Bible says he sent his son, and as many as received him, the person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. To them he gave the right to be called the children of God. You have to walk with the person of the Lord Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. That's the faith. It's the road of faith of following Jesus and leading people to follow Christ. Read with me, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes, by the way, James, so he's identified himself, which James it is, we've already talked about that, a servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he equating his brother, half-brother Jesus as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he equating those two? Is he saying, you know what, I believe that Jesus Christ is deity? It's exactly what he's saying. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He introduced himself as a servant. Now, he could have said, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm James, Jesus' brother. <laughs> but he said, no, I'm a servant. Uh, Jesus was more than a brother. He was Lord. Notice the word servant. It, it's translated, it's the word doulos. Another translation um, that would also be effective and, and appropriate would be not just servant, but the word slave. It implies a relationship of binding and lasting servitude. The Greeks loved their personal freedom, so when James uses this word, it's kind of like, that's degrading to him, it's, to them. They say, listen, you know, this is a slave, this is a servant. But, you know, the thing about it for us, um, you know, there's probably, there's nothing wrong with being a servant, serving someone. There's, there, there's nothing wrong with being a servant until someone treats you like one. And then, and then we get bent out of shape. It's like, oh, yeah. That's where the rub kit comes in. It gets hard. Can, can we just stop long enough in this? Well, literally, it's the salutation. Can we stop there long enough to say, if you're going to serve, you're going to serve anyone. You're going to serve God. You're going to serve Jesus. You're going to serve anyone. It means that you're probably going to experience some pain woundedness. Could, could we stop long enough on a Sunday morning simply to admit that and confess that we are all wounded sheep? We are wounded sheep. There is something wrong with all of us. There is no way to exempt yourself from the experience of suffering. Something someone said, something someone did, someone, something someone didn't do, Jesus said to his disciples, pick up your cross, follow me. Here's the, the, the paradigm. If you're going to be a servant, you're going to have to die a little to live a little. You have to die to self so that you can live in and live for Christ. See, there's two human realities. Let me give you the first one. Life is hard. Life is hard. If you're going to, if you're going to live for Christ and serve him and serve others, you're going to know that life is hard. Stop with me long enough to lick your wounds for a moment as a servant. Have you ever been hurt for serving? We're, we're all wounded. We're imperfect in some way. There is nobody here, there is nobody sitting next to you that has it all together. I don't know why we pretend so much in church sometimes. Um... I think there's something about, you know, um, the, the, the stoic nature of, 
of some Christians that say, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to bear up. But, and, and there's noble, something noble about that. There's also something that's not noble about it. There, there is nobody who does not fall or fail at some times. Since becoming a Christian, there is no one. If you, if, 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 if you haven't you know, accepted Christ in the last seconds, the last minutes, the last, you know what I mean, recent period of time, there's been a time where you have fallen and failed. It's not hypocritical to seek to follow Christ in all his ways, and yet, if and when we do fail or fall, to admit that we're not perfect. There's nothing hypocritical about that. All, it, it's a crazy world we live in. Things are not as they should be. I'm still working through this, but, and, I, and I don't know why, um, it just hit me. Um, it caused me to look again at this whole, the beginning of creation. God created Adam and Eve, put them in a, in a perfect garden, a perfect place. Everything was fine. He told them, you know, there's the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat of the, the, the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. And many times in our mind, we say, well, you know, Adam and Eve, did, they disobeyed and, and they, they, um, they ate of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, if, if you know English and you diagram a sentence, you know, it's the, the, it's the tree of life and it's the tree of knowledge. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge. And, and of good and evil is a prepositional phrase that describes the tree of knowledge, both the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. It was never God's intent. Well, th think about this. God never intended you to know evil. The world we live in, we, the aid of the, the tree of the knowledge, God never intended you to know evil. But what about this? What if God never intended you to know good either? He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What if it was never in God's plan for us as human beings to have to decide between good and evil? God, God wasn't even after us trying to figure out what was good. God, was, God wanted us to have a relationship with, you know, he wanted us to have a relationship with God. The prohibition wasn't against the tree of, um, the, 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 you think about the prohibition against the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, it was simply that God never wanted you and me to have to decide between those two. He only wanted a relationship with us, to know his voice, to do what he said, to have, to have us walk with him, be in fellowship with him. But because of the fall, we're living in this imperfect world. And the truth is, the truth is it sucks sometimes. It does. It's hard. It's really hard. And as a result, we don't always handle things perfectly. This isn't a perfect church. If you're a perfect person, then you won't, you won't like it here. They don't have a perfect pastor. This church does not have a perfect pastor. There's not a single one of them, single one of us that's perfect. The body of Christ has a perfect Savior, and we're called to follow him. He calls us to be like him. The call is to be like him, to be perfect in Christ. In the world to come without sin, we will be perfect in Christ. In the world right now, sin abounds. And even though we are to be made in his image, his likeness, it's an already not yet kind of reality. So sometimes our existence feels a whole lot more like wounded sheep scattered among nations. Consider that point this morning, being a servant 
being scattered, being wounded, and having to wait. James regards trials and pain and woundedness as inevitable. Not if, but when. But you have to see this. Joy is also the reality. Discouragement is not um, where he ends. Count it all joy in the midst of trials, not because of the trial, but in the midst of the trial. And he says, don't lose heart. You face trial. You, you fall into trials. means you're, you're plunged into them. You're surrounded. There's no escaping. The psalmist wrote about it in Psalm 116. David said, the cords of death entangle me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. David said, I found trouble and sorrow. Folks, you don't even have to go find it. It'll find you. But now watch this. Here's another reality. One of the realities is that life is hard. Here's the second reality. God is good. Here's the reality. When, when, when trials happen, be encouraged. Actively endure. It's not so much... Um, when he's talking here about enduring, it's not so much the quality that helps you sit quietly in the doctor's office or an attorney's office. It's the quality that helps you finish the marathon. It, it's, it's the quality to remain under a heavy load and choose to stay there rather than escape. The, the word is translated patience or it, it endures or it's, it's the idea of perseverance, trial under, under pressure. Uh, between services, some... Um, Miss Debbie gave me this, this word picture of, of pressure. When, when there's pressure that is on us, one of, the, one of the things we like to do is like, man, what do I got to do to get away from that? And, and what he's saying is here, there's, there's pressure. There's, but, but I want you to endure this, this pressure. Now, um, the, the trials and the, and the pain we're talking about, it's, a trial is different than abuse. Those two are two different things. But the trials and the pressures of life, instead of trying to, to get away from them, to, to say, listen, these are the things that, uh, if you will, endure under pressure and not try to escape, but to endure through patience. Um, it, it produces patience. It produces perseverance. Trials reveal what faith we have. Trials are not allowed by God into our lives to break us down. They're allowed into our lives to build us up. Don't let patience and perseverance be an inch shorter than the affliction. So here's your choice. You can, make, you can allow trials to help make you better, or those trials will make you bitter. How many of you know people who there has been some, some wicked stuff in their life? Things that have happened to them. I've heard stories from people in our congregation, stories about murder in the family. Stories about um, um, uh, all kinds of abuse in the family, drunkenness. Um, uh, th there are things, Scripture talks about sins of the fathers being laid on the, on the generations, the third and fourth generations to come. What I have also witnessed of people in this congregation is they said, listen, all that's been going on in the chain of our family for all these years, it just keeps on going. It doesn't matter. Suicide is one of those things. Financial ruin is one of those things. Um, abuse, some of those kinds of things. All, all kinds of things. They're just the, the sins of the Father to the point where if you keep on going, you're going to fall off. Don't worry, I'm done. And I've watched people 
endure that kind of thing for years. I've also watched people in this congregation say, okay, well, I'm right here in this chain, and it stops right here. It's not going any farther. And they break that chain of pain. They're going to endure under pressure. He said, but, but I've also noticed some of those, I've also found people who in those situations, when they were 18, they were bitter and angry. And when they were 28, they were bitter and angry. And when they were 38 and 48 and 58 and 68 and 78 and 88 and, you know, you, you almost say, Lord, why are you letting them go to 98? They're angry and bitter. The trials hasn't made them better, it's made them bitter. He said, don't do that. That's not what he's talking about here. He said, you've got to get better, not bitter. Don't sit and sulk and sour. Marinate. Get sweeter as the days go by. So look what he's saying. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's going to be some wounds in your life. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Hey, you're called by God. You're descendants of Abraham, but you're scattered. That means things have happened. Not good. They're all over the place. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, God is in the purpose of growing some people up. Life is hard, but God is good. And if you will persevere in the trials of life, <laughs> the things don't kill you will make you better. Well, that's just one practical thing that James in the salutation um, in the first couple of verses said to us. I'm going to invite the team to come. That's all I got for you today. Um, these are the practical things we're going to be talking about in the days ahead. As the team comes, though, I want to just share a final thought with you. Can you imagine with me a senior in high school, a young man who's um, a great football player, um, he's a good student, a good athlete, and at some point his senior year, he gets a notice that he's supposed to go to the principal's office. And the reason he's supposed to go to the principal's office is that there is a note that he's supposed to pick up. It goes like this. This letter, this note, written by his mom. I just want you to know you're one of the best football players I've witnessed in a long time. Your future is as bright as you want to make it. Give me a call sometime when you have a chance. I'd like to talk. Signed, Mom. Now, I had a mom like that. It didn't matter if it was on the football field or if it was in music or arts or drama or if it was building something with my hands or using something with my head she would say to me you can be whatever God has called you to be you have the ability you have the potential whatever you do and she would say to me things like 
No matter what you're going through today, God's going to use that somehow in your life. You're going to need this. Um, learn this lesson. Um, she sent me Bible verses. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll direct your paths. You worry about the depth of your relationship with God. He'll worry about the breadth of it. Oh, I'm telling you, if you have a mom like that, I mean, can you imagine a high school kid who gets a letter? I just want you to know you're one of the best football players you've witnessed in a long time. Your future is as bright as you want to make it. Give me a call when you have a chance. I want to talk sometime. Sign mom. Can you imagine what that would do for a young man? But I want you to listen to that same message again. That same note, but it's signed by someone else. I just want you to know that you're one of the best football players I've witnessed in a long time. Your future, it's as bright as you want to make it. Give me a call sometime when you have a chance to talk. I'd like to talk with you. Signed, Nick Saban. Signed, Jim Harbaugh. Signed, Marcus Freeman. Signed, Kirk Ferentz. Four top Division I football coaches. Can you imagine the difference if you read that letter, that note coming from them? The implications of that? Huge difference. So, well, here's this letter. This one's signed by James, and it's signed by Jesus. Listen to it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, sisters, when you face trials of all kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and lack nothing. When that's signed by James and signed by Jesus, and it comes to you as a personal note, <laughs> you can say you've already won. I've already won. There's a peace that outlasts darkness. There's hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today because Jesus Christ has won. I can face tomorrow. Tomorrow's in your hands. All I need you will provide, just like you always have. You see, I'm fighting a battle that he's already won. This note to you through James, through Jesus, is, folks, you hang on. God has a plan. He wants to mature your faith. He wants you to be a strong person of faith, and he's building it up in you. And he believes in you. And he loves you. And he's for you gonna make it so God help us as we affirm our faith in you and we read your word to us and we mature and we grow in Jesus name Amen. thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church podcast again if you have any questions visit us at summitniles.com now go and be the church in the world 